God's word comes to your heart, your life, I have no doubt that scripture reveals from us, to us from the very beginning that we're not meant to walk by ourselves. But today, an empty tomb has disrupted your routine. The risen Christ is handing you a new script. Good morning. It is so good to be here with all the children, the youth, all of you. If, this is your, if you are a first-time guest, once again, a warm welcome to you. We're so glad that you could join us today. And as you can see from the video, there's so much that has happened in the past year, not only around the world, but especially at our church. In fact, a lot has changed. Everything has changed. From the beginning of 2018 to the end of 2018. We've had a name change. We had a location change. We had staff and personnel changes, identity changes. Everything has changed. And I don't know how you feel about 2018. Maybe for some of you, it was a year to remember. Full of movement and excitement, you like change and progress. For others of you, maybe it was a year to forget, right? Things change and it isn't what you expected. And you're hoping that 2019 will be a better year. And you can't wait to, wait to turn the page and move forward. Wherever you are, I believe that God has a word for us today. A word for where we've been and where we are going in the future. And so today we're going to be looking at a passage. And I think there's some lessons we can learn as we look forward 
to 2019. And the passage that we're going to be looking at today, it actually comes from Numbers chapter 13 and 14. Now, there's no way that I can go through these two passages in the time that I have, but I hope to capture the essence of both passages with two words, two words that I think shine through the text, two words in which I think turn the whole story around, all right? So here's the first word. If you're taking notes, you should have received it in the bulletin. Here's the first word. And the word is however. Everybody say however. 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 Now, however is not a word I like very much. However is one of those words you don't like hearing in a sentence, right? It's one of those words that changes the good news to bad news. When hope is shattered and it leads to disappointment. Let me give you some examples. You know, Danny, I think you're a really, really nice person. However, right? Or Tom, I'd love to help you move. However, Mr. Bradley, your resume is impressive. However, you know, Sally, I would love to lend you the money. However, you see, the word however is used when someone gives you the good news first, but they're just about to give you the bad news right after that. And whenever you hear that word, your mood changes. It goes from positive to negative. And that word comes out in the middle of our text. But before I get there, let me just gradually unfold this story for you. Now remember, the Israelites, they had just fled from slavery in Egypt. God delivered the people of Israel, and they were promised a new land, a land flowing with milk and honey, a better land, a better place than what they've known before. But before they went as a whole group of about 3 million people, God sent a small group of 12 spies to explore and scout out the land because they have to eventually take the land. And that's where our story picks up. The mission the 12 spies were sent on was not just about exploring and scouting out the land to do due diligence. No, that's what it was on a practical level, but it was so much more than that. It was really about gauging Israel's faith. Because whether it was a land filled with giants or a land filled with little people, it wouldn't make any difference. Because God was calling them into the land and promised that they would rule and have victory. So the scouting mission was not about how many soldiers they needed, how many tents they needed to carry. It wasn't about that. It was to see, it was was to let Israel see with their own eyes the fullness of the land which God had promised for them for so long. And so from the very beginning, God had been promising them this land flowing with milk and honey. And you know, when you hear the words milk and honey, I know, it doesn't really do anything for us living here in America, right? But imagine eating the same thing every day. Could you imagine that? Imagine just eating rice, nothing else, just rice every day, breakfast, lunch, dinner. Imagine eating meat, and I love meat, but imagine eating meat every day and nothing else. Okay, bad example, right? Meat doesn't work. But imagine just eating the same thing. You get it, right? You get it. Imagine eating the same thing every day. See, milk and honey is a metaphor for abundance in living. It's figurative here. They pointed to a land where they had everything and wanted in abundance. Everything was available to you. It was rich in soil and in the crops and everything. Imagine having nothing and then having everything. And that's why God says in verse 20 of Numbers 13, 
Now the time was the season of the first ripe grapes. See, that's not coincidental. God is sending them on the scouting mission at the very time when the vines would be the heaviest with grapes. In other words, they're being sent in on Thursday, getting ready for the weekend, and a new batch in the stock is stocked. A new stock is put on the shelves. How many of you have ever eaten old grapes? When you eat grapes that are cold, crisp, and firm, it's delicious, right? But when you eat grapes that are warm, grapes that have been sitting out for a while, and it's soft, that's disgusting. That's gross. You see, the grapes were fresh here. This is a time when Israel's spies were being sent in. They would go into the land and go, oh my gosh, oh my gosh goodness and they would see this everywhere and their hearts would be thumping and that was absolutely intentional and i think that's so cool because god that's god's mercy it seems like whenever he's calling us into some major new step he dangles before us a new vision of the upside he gets our hearts gripped and excited about what could be and what's possible and i think that's great That's God's mercy for us. I think he knows that probably without that enticing vision, we, most of us, would never walk anywhere. We wouldn't budge. We wouldn't take risks and go something big for God, something better. See, some of us are in that place today, right now. And you know that God has been laying something on you for a long time, but you just haven't taken that step. You You haven't realized how great it can be. Maybe for some of you, starting a family. Maybe it's finally setting down, settling down from the nightclub life and going, maybe I should get someone permanent. Maybe for others of you, it's about getting more serious about church and about your faith. Maybe that's where you are. And you know that if you took that step, it will be better for you. Everything will be better in the long run. I mean, maybe that's where you are. But here's the thing. They gave Moses their account when they came back. Numbers chapter 13, verse 27 says this. And they told him, we came to the land to which you sent us. It flows with milk and honey, and this is its fruit. In other words, everything is true as God said it is. It's really that good. Could you imagine taking a person from an indigenous place and bringing them here and taking them to Costco, right? They would faint. They think they'd be in heaven. I mean, I think I'm in heaven when I'm at Costco, right? See, I want you to understand that when they went in, they were excited to confirm everything God had predicted was exactly as represented. The cluster of grapes were so big that two men had to carry it on a pole, and that's not an exaggeration. It's like you've been to Costco, and there are times where, you know what, Getting, heading to my car, I couldn't fit everything into the trunk of my car. There's so much stuff that I don't know what to do with it. And that's the report that they brought. But here's the turning point in the following verse, verse 28. However, however, verse 28 begins, however, the people who dwell in the land are strong. The cities are fortified and very large. And besides, we saw the descendants of Anak there. The Malachites dwell in the land of the Negev. The Hittites, the Jebusites, the Amorites dwell in the hill country, and the Canaanites dwell by the sea and along the Jordan. And there's that word. Yes, it's a great land. Yes, there's all these grapes. 
However, however, the people there are too strong. However, the city is fortified and very large. Besides, we saw the descendants of Anak. Do you know who they are? The descendants of Anak are the descendants of actually the Nephilim. The Nephilims are mentioned in Genesis chapter 6, verse 4, as a product of a union between the daughters of men and the sons of God. Now, we don't know whether they were just giants or whether they were angelic beings, but here's the point. Somehow, that product of the union produces these superhumans, if they were even human. And when I think of giants in the land, I think of this guy. Take a look at this guy. His name is Dalip Singh. He stands at seven feet, one inches tall. He weighs 420 pounds. He is an imposing figure. You might have seen him in movies like The Longest Yard or Get Smart. He was also a wrestler. When I watch him, I wonder if I stood next to him, if I would feel like I'm the same species as this guy, right? How could he have come from a woman's womb the way I came from a woman's womb, huh? That's crazy. He's an imposing specimen, and that's just one guy. Now imagine an entire human race of giants, and you look at that. Imagine having to play football with these guys. Well, I ain't playing with them. No, I'm done. You can't win. Their swords are as tall as me. See, it was a David and Goliath story. It's a foreshadowing of what it's like when you stand before someone who's so much bigger and you're gripped with fear and you can't move. And so here's the report of the spies. The land is exceedingly good. God, it really is good. However, the speed bump is just too high. If you want all that good stuff, you got to take down these giants. you got to beat up these big guys first, and that's not going to happen. And that's the turning point of the story. God's promise is true. The land is good. There is a clear upside. However, the downside is too intimidating, and we're not going to succeed in this. And so the people began to panic. And these 10 faithless spies began to stir up all kinds of worry and fear into the people there. And they wouldn't let up. They kept on going. Listen to what verse 31 says. Then the men who had gone up with him said, We are not able to go up against the people, for they are stronger than we are. So they brought to the people of Israel a bad report of the land that they spied out, saying, The land through which we have gone to spy it out is a land that devours its inhabitants. And all the people that we saw in it are of great height. And there we saw the Nephilim, the sons of Anarch, who come from the Nephilim. And we seem to ourselves like grasshoppers, and so we seem to them. We seem so small compared to them. You see, the people, they're not letting up. These spies who were the leaders of the 12 tribes, and they didn't want to fight them. They were scared. And so they begin to start pushing their agenda a little bit. And I wonder, I wonder if that's something that happens among us sometimes. See, I think we know the upside of where God is trying to take us as a church, as a new story. It's great. We know that God is definitely calling us to something, to reach 1% of Los Angeles. And we know in the depths of our heart, where we were in the early parts of 2018 is not where we were meant to be. We've taken the safest possible way out. And yet God has called us to something greater than what our life was yesterday. See, I believe God is calling us to something else, something radically different. And with the incredible upside comes this very large risk. 
And so the Lord says, what are you going to do about that? What are you going to do about that? Have you been putting your eyes on all the downside, all the pitfalls, all the obstacles, or have you been focusing on the promises of God? And so I love what Joshua says in Numbers chapter 14, verses 6 through 8. Listen. And Joshua, the son of Nun, and Caleb, who were among those who had spied out the land, they tore their clothes and said to all the congregation of the people of Israel, the land which we pass through to spy out, spy it out is an exceedingly good land. If the Lord delights in us, he will bring us into this land and give it to us, a land that flows with milk and honey. Did you catch that? Joshua and Caleb, the two lone voices out of the 12, are trying to quiet the people's fears. And they say, look, 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 the land is good. It really is. And God has promised that we would win. Let's just go and take it. Come on, guys. And I promise you, if the Lord delights in us, there's no way we're going to lose, guys. But the people are insecure. They're afraid, not confident in the future outcome, second-guessing everything. I know how good it can be. However, and I'm wondering if that's a word that is plaguing some of our hearts. However. Well, here's the second word that turns the story, and it's the word nevertheless. Everybody say nevertheless. 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 See, I think a lot of people operate on the wrong and unbiblical idea that we have an inexhaustive, unlimited supply of second chances. I'm horrified that that's the way a lot of people wrongly define grace. You see, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ means that no matter how many times I screw up, I can always get back to him again. I get a second shot at everything. Now, at one universal sense, that is absolutely true. God will always accept you back as his son or daughter, and I want you to know that. But there are times in your life and mine where the window of opportunity to experience something great, a blessing, if you will, not salvation, but blessing, that narrow slit of an invitation is only open for a season. Let me give you some examples. If you're a youth student in here, maybe you had an opportunity to go to like a conference or a retreat. But you decided at the last minute, nah, you know what, I don't want to go. I don't know all these people. I'd rather be alone. I don't want to meet all these new people. It's not the same as my school friends. So you decide not to go. And when the people come back from the conference or retreat, what usually happens? You hear all the stories of what an amazing time it was, right? God showed up. You see all the pictures on Facebook. You see all the pictures on Snapchat. You see all the pictures on Instagram, Right? And all these people seem closer now than they did before. And now you regret not going because you missed out on all the blessings. Maybe for others of you, you were once in a relationship, but the idea of commitment scared you and you walked away from that relationship. And now years later, because that window has closed permanently, you realize what an amazing person you missed out on. And now he or she is with someone else. You know, I personally know someone who was offered a job very early on in Amazon's heyday. But because Amazon was just a startup at the time, they couldn't pay their employees a whole lot of money. But what they could offer was stocks to their company. Now, this person actually decided to find a more stable job instead of take Amazon's offer. Now, look, if this person took Amazon's offer, this person would be a millionaire today. And I'm not kidding you. It'd be a millionaire today. You see, one decision closes another. 
When God calls and invites you, he always transacts with you on the basis of faith. There are no money-back guarantees. There is no sure thing where he says, you know, everything's going to be okay. There's no risk. Just come in. It's a done deal. Nope. There's nothing like that. He says, when you deal with me, it will always be on the basis of faith. See, in fact, the writer of Hebrews says what? You cannot please God without faith. So when that window opens, it's going to require faith because there's always going to be an upside and a huge downside. And that just seems like the way life works. Everything worth having costs a lot. That's just the way it is. And God says, make your choice. But if your choice will have fear wrapped up in it, there will be uncertainties and doubts. And God says, look at me right now, guys. Have I not told you this? You can do it if you trust me. Let's go. I don't care about the giants in the land. I don't care if their fortresses are thicker than anything you've seen. I told you I'm going to give it to you. I'm going to give it to you. Are you going to go? Are you ready? Are you ready to walk with me? And I'm telling you right now that that door doesn't stay open forever. And if you miss it, it may never open again in your lifetime. That's the way it is. See, the Bible is littered, littered with stories of people who chose poorly. And now they live the rest of their lives bearing the consequence of a failed opportunity, a mischance. Do you understand that? And so I wonder if for all of us, myself included, looking back at the trail behind us, how much is littered with closed doors and missed opportunities. Because while God was beckoning, we were too afraid to walk through. Don't wrongly presume that because of the gospel that every door magically opens no matter when you push the button. Some people will live a life very different from the optimal life which God had planned for them because they were faithless. They chose safety, what was familiar, what was comfortable. And because of it, they pay the price and miss out on the blessings of God. See, the word nevertheless can be a dreadful word. Look at Moses. Moses pleads with God, and it's a very passionate plea. He says, please forgive these people, God. They don't know what they're doing. But if you wipe them out, because God was going to wipe them out, because of their continual disobedience and lack of faith. But Moses says, you can't do that, God, because all these other nations are watching us right now. We've been blabbing all along that you've been favoring us. And it culminates to this great verse. Verse 19, listen. Moses says, please pardon the iniquity of this people according to your greatness of your steadfast love, just as you have forgiven this people from Egypt until now. Pretty awesome prayer from a leader, huh? And here's God's reply, and it brings a chill to my spine. Then the Lord said, I have pardoned according to your word. In other words, yes, I forgive you. I will accept you. There's no doubt about that, forever and ever. But verse 21, and here's the word. But nevertheless, as I live and as all the earth shall be filled with the glory of the Lord, none of the men who have seen my glory and my signs that I did in Egypt and in the wilderness and yet have put me to the test these ten times and have not obeyed my voice, they shall not see the land that I swore to give to their fathers. And none of those who despise me shall see it. Do you understand that principle? God forgives them and receives them as his children. He always will. But they will never set foot in the land they were faithless to claim. The word here is really serious. The word here is, 
It's never, okay? It's never. You will never have that thing if you miss that window of opportunity to put your faith in God. When God calls you forward and you're feeling the stirring in your heart, that door may not stay open forever and you might miss that chance to enter into another place with him. And this is crazy because God has been so patient with the Israelites up to this point. He delivers the people from slavery by the Egyptians, right? He splits the Red Sea. He makes uh, an escape route for them. And they make their way to a promised land, a land that's better than them, that they've ever experienced. They're making their way, but along every step of the way, do you know what they do? Anybody? They complain. I mean, if I was God, oh, I don't know what I do. That's why I'm not God. Right? And I know some of you are judging me right now. It's okay. Go ahead. But you know what God does? God bends over backwards to save the people from an impossible situation. They crossed over the Red Sea. The sea parted. They walked on dry land to the other side. When they get to the other side, do you know what they said? Oh, we're so hungry. Did you bring us out here to die? Why couldn't we just stay in Egypt? Do you know what God does? His response was to put sweet tasting bread all over the ground. And his people pick it up and they eat it. Ah, yeah. And then they're like, well, now we're thirsty. (laughs) We're so thirsty. Have you brought us here to die? Why couldn't you just leave us in Egypt? Then God makes water come out of a rock. (sighs) They drink it and they're satisfied. And then you know what happens? I want some meat now, protein. You want to kill us out here again? What are you doing? Where are we going to get this protein? Then God puts quail on the ground, and they eat it. But it just doesn't stop. I'm telling you, if I'm God, I'm killing everybody slowly. (laughs) That's why I'm not. Forgive me, God, right? He's God. And it's a whole other sermon to talk about the patience of God in the face of that. And it's a whole other sermon to talk about the fact that we are actually them. But what I want to challenge all of us as we look forward to 2019, if that speaks to you and that's where you are, I want you to know this. Now is the time to put your faith in him. Now is the time to see the greatness of God and not just the greatness of giants in the land. It's always going to be scary. Change is never easy. You'll never feel totally safe. But now is the moment to follow him in obedient faith. Let me try to wrap this up with this. My family and I went on a quick getaway to Big Bear this past week with some friends. Here's a picture of my kids. I know it's a little bit hard to see, but here's a picture of my kids. Don't ask me why they're smiling like that, okay? That's their cheese pose, all right? I have three kids, and like most families with multiple children, my kids are very different from one another. My oldest daughter, Zoe, she is the obedient one. She is the studious one. She's the responsible one, the model child in many respects. And I love that about her. But you know, that also makes her more cautious, not wanting to make mistakes. It makes her more timid, not wanting to try new things. There's a whole lot more fear involved. And that can be sometimes frustrating, especially as a parent, right? So at Big Bear, we went tubing for one of the days, down this mountain tubing. And as we walk up to the mountain, we see how high it is. Now, Zoe never told me this, but I know what she's exactly thinking. 
I know. I could see it in her face. She is terrified. She is scared. And I held her and I said, are you ready? Her heart was like pounding because she was so scared. We get to the top and I ask her, hey, Zoe, do you want to go down by yourself? And you know what she said? No. Now, in my household, this is a long, drawn-out thing. Come on, Zoe, you can do it. It's going to be so much fun. Trust Daddy. You're going to have a great time. Just go down. It's going to be great. No. Now, to make a long story short, Gina goes down with her, okay? But I'm going to show you a video. Here's a video of the group going down together. The video is like two seconds, okay? But here's what I want you to see. I want you to see my daughter's face going down, okay? Go. That's her. Play it again, play it again. Look at that face. I'm not talking about Tim, I'm talking about her. Look at her, play it again, play it again. You know, as a parent, when you see that, that picture right there is priceless. That's the kind of joy you want your kids to experience. You trust daddy now? I told you it was going to be fun. That picture right there, that's the joy. That's the blessing of taking that risk. But if she never went down, she would have never experienced that. She loved this so much. I'm telling you, I'm not even kidding around. She loved this so much, she didn't want to leave. I said, no, Zoe, we got to leave. She didn't want to leave. She was about to cry. And you got to understand something about my daughter. She's not very expressive. She doesn't verbalize. But she was verbalizing, Daddy, I want to stay. Let's play. It was so much fun. She didn't want to go. I wonder how so often we are exactly like my daughter. I wonder what we will miss out on because of fear, because it's uncomfortable. But God says, trust me, change is never easy. But I'm with you, and my promises are true. Where God calls, he will definitely take us there if we would just go and follow. We don't need to use and hear words like however, nevertheless. You don't cross the Jordan into the promised land casually. It will never be cheap. It will never be guaranteed. God is working out a plan, and that plan is good, but that plan will rarely play itself out like we think it's going to. But you want to know something? It will be an amazing ride. And it'll be amazing on the other side of that. New story, church, friends, as we look forward to 2019, let's not forget God's faithfulness, his fingerprints all over us to where we are today. But don't just stay there. Look forward to God's promises because he wants us to take us to a place that's better. Amen? And we do that together. We do that together. Let's pray. Bow with me. I know I said a lot, 
But here's a question for you to just ponder upon. What are you scared of? What are the barriers, obstacles hindering you from moving forward? I know change is not easy. I know things can get uncomfortable. But what are your fears? Maybe just for a minute or so, you could just kind of lift that up to God and say, yeah, God, I am scared. It is a bit uncomfortable. But help me to cling to your promises. That you work for the good of those who love you. Let's rest in that. And then maybe on the flip side of that question is this question. What are you looking forward to in 2019? Personally, corporately as a body, what are you looking forward to in 2019? And I'm going to give you just a few seconds just to do that. And I'll close this in prayer. Heavenly Father, I'll be the first one to admit that 2018 wasn't the easiest of years. There's been a lot of changes, a lot of things that look a whole lot different now than it did then. And Lord, there are times where I was was scared of how everything was going to turn out. But thank you for reminding us that we could cling to your promises because you are faithful and you are good. And I pray for every single person that is here, whether it's their first time or whether they've been here for years, that you would remind us and encourage us and challenge us that you still have great things in store for us. You still have great things in store for a new story. And it's going to be one heck of a ride. So I pray, Lord, that you would be the one to really just open up our hearts and our minds so that we'll be able to step out in faith. And in that, may you honor everything we do for you. We just look forward to 2019 because we expect great things from our great God and we believe that. And so as we look forward to 2019, may you do your thing. And may we wait in anticipation of how you're going to draw people to you, how we're going to reach 1% of Los Angeles, and how we're going to do it together, oh God. Remind us of that vision. And as we respond, now I pray that you would continue to minister to our hearts. We pray that in Jesus' name.